Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me to the 11th chapter of Daniel. And Lord willing, we will finish the book of Daniel today. Praise God. It's been a, a labor of love for me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Good. Well, by popular request, I'm going to go back through the Ptolemy and the Seleucid dynasties this morning. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if you're ever on Jeopardy, you're golden. If the Seleucids and Ptolemies comes up, you're good. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 36, which most conservative Bible scholars believe picks up on the, uh, uh, we're, we're done with the historical section of Daniel. Now, as far as Daniel's concerned, it was all future. But we, uh, we move from the historical to the prophetic now in verse 36. And I'm going to just offer up a word of prayer to God, and you agree with me if you will. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege to study the word of God. Lord, it's been a blessing. And Lord, uh, it's not just so we can satisfy our curiosities about what's going to happen in the end times, but we can learn how to live godly in an ungodly world. And we can stand for truth even when everyone around us is compromising, Lord. And the ones who know their God can do mighty exploits, God. And we just praise you, Lord. We see the writing on the wall, just like Belshazzar saw it. We see the writing on the wall too, Lord. And we understand that the time is short. Only Jesus Christ, only the Father knows the day and the hour. We don't know, and we wouldn't dare set dates. But we do know that the Bible says it's so near. We can see that it's so near, it's even at the door. When we see all these things begin to come to pass, Lord, the convergence of all the signs, we can look up and know that our redemption draws nigh. And Lord, just help me today. Just help me to preach your word with deep conviction and with the assurance of the Holy Spirit. I ask you these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we get to verse 36. And the Bible says, And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. And he shall prosper until the indignation be accomplished. For that is that, that is determined shall be done. Okay? So here is another title for Antichrist. Remember, there's five major kings in this section. There's Ahasuerus. There's Alexander. There's Antiochus the Great. Then that terrible, vile person, the Bible says, Antiochus IV or Antiochus Epiphanes. Now we come to the fifth king, who's Antichrist. And one of the titles of the Antichrist is found in verse 36. He's the willful king. Now in Daniel chapter 7, he's the little horn that speaks great things. In chapter 8, he is the king of fierce countenance. In chapter 9, he's the prince that will come. And here in chapter 11, he's the king, who the willful king. And he is so different from our king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus Christ said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. But this king is following his father, who's the devil. Satan says, I will. Remember those five I will statements from the book of Isaiah? Satan says, I will exalt my throne above God. I will exalt my throne above the sides of the north. He's the willful king. And he is different from Antiochus, Epiphanes. It says, he will magnify himself above every god. The Apostle Paul says something very similar to the Thessalonian believers. I'm going to turn there very quickly. I didn't have uh, this in my notes this morning, but I wanted to share this with you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Let no man deceive you, verse 3, 
by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed. That's another title for the Antichrist. And the son of perdition, yet another title. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is different than every other uh, ruler or despot. Antiochus Epiphanes never attempted to do this. Titus didn't do it in 70 AD. This is going to be unique to this particular king. He's Antichrist. And he has a particular hatred against Jehovah God, the God of gods. He has a particular hatred against God's people. And he shall speak marvelous things until the indignation be accomplished. That's another term for the tribulation. Until that which is determined shall be done. So you see, this is going to be determined. It's a pre There's nothing you can do. It's inevitable. And I believe we're on the precipice of this. I believe this world leader is waiting in the wings right now. And the only thing that's preventing him from coming on the stage is the church still on the earth. We will be removed at some point prior to the signing of a seven-year covenant. And he, he is this king, this willful king. Verse 37 Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now, it's unfortunate. I'm reading out of the King James. I'm not King James only because the, everything you have is a translation. And so I, it's good to, to uh, study various translations. But I preach from the King James. I think it's one of the best out there. And uh, I think it's probably one of the most reliable, that in the NASB. But unfortunately, the King James here capitalizes God in verse 37. And it gives the impression to some that the Antichrist will be a Jew. And that's not, it's very unfortunate. Uh, the, the Hebrew word is Elohim. It's plural. And the context determines whether or not it's, it's a capitalized uh, uppercase G or lowercase. The context determines this. And so it might more, more accurately be rendered the gods of his fathers. Not the God of his father. The Antichrist will not be a Jew. And that's, that's a common misconception. And a lot of it is based upon this particular uh, choice of the translator to, to capitalize the G here. Uh, because often the God of the, fa of, of the fathers is, is Jehovah, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we know from Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue and from Daniel's vision in chapter 7 that the Antichrist comes out of the fourth empire. He's not a Jew. He comes out of the Roman Empire, which is that revived European Union. Now, again, this makes him different from Antiochus Epiphanes because Antiochus, what did he do? He set up an altar of Zeus in the uh, Holy of Holies, and he sacrificed a pig. And so uh, this clearly is not Antiochus Epiphanes, but he does not regard the gods of his fathers. Now, here's another phrase that's difficult, nor the desire of women. Some say that this is a messianic uh, expectation that, that every Jewish woman had hoped that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And that may or may not be true. Here, here's what I think. And it's, it's, you know, it'll buy you a cup of coffee. Uh, not, probably not even that. That's what my opinion is worth. Here's what I think. Some, some say that it means he's a homosexual. I don't think the context demands that either. I don't, and now he might be, but I don't think the context demands this. I think that it means that he will have no regard. He'll be cruel. He, he will not regard the desire of women. Remember that old prophecy in Genesis chapter 3? And remember, there's going to be enmity between who? Between the serpent and who? The woman. The seed of the woman. And I believe that this is, just speaks of his cruelty, this animosity that Satan has uh, between uh, the woman. He will have no re regard for women. 
he will not regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate, verse 38, he shall honor the God of forces. Some, some translations will say fortresses. He'll be a man of war. Now, he'll claim to be a man of peace, but he will be a man of war. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold. Now, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of people say, well, he's going to be an antichrist. He's going to be uh, an Islam, um, uh, Islamic person. Well, we don't know for sure, but, what, but whatever we know from the Bible is that he will not serve the gods of his ancestors. So if he is uh, an Arab or a Muslim or whatever, he's not going to serve the God of Islam, who is not the God of the Bible, by the way. Allah is not the same as Jehovah. And don't, don't ever believe that. Don't believe that Islam's a religion of peace. It's responsible for the death of millions across the world. It's a, it's a horrible, demonic religion. Uh, but, but whatever he is, he will not honor whatever his ancestry or his heritage is. He's not, that's what the Bible teaches us right here. He will not regard any God, but he'll, he'll worship a God that nobody else has worshipped. Here's the difference between him and every other one. Now, if you know anything about world history, a lot of these dictators, a lot of these guys that were uh, trying to take over the world, they were very involved in the occult, very, very involved in spiritism. And, and, and we've had presidents and first ladies that have been involved in the occult, and, and uh, it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, but, but this one will not worship Satan indirectly. He will worship Satan directly. That's what's going to make him unique. Revelation chapter 13 says that the dragon, that the beast will worship the dragon. He will be energized and empowered by Satan himself. And this, was, this, this is what makes him different than anybody else. And he'll honor this God with silver, precious stones, and pleasant things. Now, Satan has always wanted to be worshipped. He offered Jesus Christ all the world on a silver platter. He said, all you have to do, Jesus, is bow down and worship me because all of this is mine and to whomsoever I will, I can give it. And Jesus did not argue with him because it was a legitimate temptation. But Jesus Christ resisted that temptation to worship him. But the Antichrist will worship Satan and in exchange, Satan will give him authority for three and a half years. Verse 39, thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory and he shall cause him to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. And at that time shall the king of the south push at him. All right, so now Antichrist is getting some pushback. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, with horsemen, and with many ships, and, shall, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land. What land is that? Israel. Good, you've been paying attention. It's the beautiful land, the glorious land. He'll enter into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. All right, let's, let's unpack this for just a moment. So we see the Antichrist is not going to be unopposed. He will have some pushback. The scripture says that the king of the south, now uh, up until now, the king of the south, the reference has been to who? To Egypt. And, and what we can say with some degree of confidence is that it's Egypt, North Africa perhaps. Uh, the king of the north, up until now, the king of the north has been Syria. Now there are some who like to see Russia here. I don't know that we can do that. I don't know that we can say that it's Russia. Um, it might be. They're to the north. But, but either way, the Antichrist is receiving some 
opposition from the south and from the north. And they're going to push against him. And it's going to cause him, the scripture says, to enter into the glorious land. He's going to now move his headquarters from Europe to Jerusalem. He's going to set up the, uh, the abomination of desolation. And he is going to demand to be worshipped and to be called to be worshipped as God. Now, it says that there's a, a, a notable exception here. That Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon, or Ammon, that they will be delivered. Now, how is it that they escape the dominion of Antichrist? Well, if you know anything about Bible prophecy, you know that this is the land, modern-day Jordan. And this is the place to which the Jewish people will flee from the Antichrist. And so God himself has, has reserved a city of refuge, a place of refuge for his people to flee into. God's going to take care of his people. In the tribulation period, he's going to take care of the Jewish people. Uh, I, you know, last night I was studying this. I, I had already done my, my preparation, sermon prep, but I just began to read and, and look over this, and I just began to weep as I thought about this godly man, Daniel, who loved the Lord, and, and, and Jesus Christ, who loved Daniel, and, and Daniel just seeing all the atrocities that's going to happen to his people, and he's just overwhelmed with the grief of the, 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 uh, the magnitude of the suffering of the children of Israel. Have they not suffered worse than any people on the face of the earth? My, my goodness. And, and Daniel was just, it just made him sick to the core of his being to, to see this. And God's showing them all, all, all these things. Verse 42, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries. The land of Egypt shall not escape. So now he's, uh, he's beginning to strike out against these other nations. Remember that there's a ten-nation confederacy. Uh, we know this from Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the ten toes, part of iron, part of clay. Daniel's vision in chapter 7, there's a beast with ten horns, and a little horn comes out of the ten horns. He's got teeth of iron and nails of brass. That speaks of the Grecian influence too, the Grecian and the Roman influence. And uh, he will stretch forth his hand. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, over all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Now some say that this is the Asian countries, uh, Korea, China. And they do have uh, very, uh, the ability to field a vast army. And the book of Revelation speaks of the Euphrates River being dried up. And a 200 million man army coming across the, uh, the riverbed there. I, so I don't know if this is... Uh, the modern-day Asian countries are not, or if this is a reference to Babylon, Iraq. Uh, it would be beyond my pay grade to, to say definitively. And, uh, but one thing is clear. When the tribulation uh, begins, the people who are reading the book of Daniel will understand. They'll be able to make sense of it, and I'll get to that in just a moment. He shall go forth with great fury to destroy and to utterly to make away many. Verse 45, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Again, this would be Jerusalem. The, the seas would be the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. Who is this? This is Antichrist. Now, I don't believe that this is speaking of the final end of him where he's cast into the lake of fire. But I believe this speaks of his death. Uh, the book of Revelation teaches that the Antichrist will be killed. He will have a deadly wound. And he will be resurrected. Now some say, well, the devil doesn't have power to uh, resurrect anybody, and so it's a counterfeit. 
That may or may not be true, but, but the point is it's an effective counterfeit nonetheless. Um, maybe we should look at that. Turn with me to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Hold your place in Daniel. Revelation 13. Verse 1 says, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Again, this is an idiom for the Gentiles. The beast, who's another name for the Antichrist. It's, you know, he's only called Antichrist one time. Uh, he's called by 30-some other names, but the one we always go with is Antichrist. But nevertheless, the beast rises up out of the sea, having seven heads and how many horns? Ten. Upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear, mouth of a lion. Dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. So he's, he's the devil's emissary. He's energized by Satan. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So after, after the Antichrist is resurrected, the whole world is going to wonder after him. The whole world's going to go after this guy. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? Well, why would they say that? Well, because he's come back from the dead. He's going he's, he's to be the ultimate counterfeit. In this chapter, we have the counterfeit trinity. We have, in, in, in our trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here, you have the beast and the false prophet and the dragon who energizes. This is an unholy trinity, and he will mimic the resurrection of Christ. And I would encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. But, but nevertheless, let's get back to Daniel, chapter 12. And at that time, what time? The time of the end, the last, the last part, the, the campaign. By the way, Armageddon is a campaign. It's not just one battle. It's a campaign. And we've come to use that word, we, we've so assimilated that word Armageddon to where it really doesn't have any biblical um, meaning uh, the way we use it in our vernacular. But Armageddon is a campaign. And it says, and at that time shall Michael stand up. That's a military term, to stand up. That great prince which stands for the children of your people. Who, who are Daniel's people? The Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time the people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Well, there's a lot here. But it says Michael is going to stand up. Now, Michael is a special military angel, and he guards the nation of Israel. You know why Israel has been able to survive all of this time? They've been able, you know, every other culture that's gone through what Israel has has been assimilated and, and just faded into uh, history. But no matter what happens to the Jewish people, they don't assimilate. They still maintain their distinctives and their culture. And, no, and Satan has tried so hard to eradicate this group of people. Satan hates the Jews with a particular hatred. And again, I believe it goes back to Genesis 3, the in between, between the serpent and the seed of the woman, the woman being Israel who would give birth to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be of the tribe of Judah, hallelujah, of the seed of Abraham, son of Abraham, son of David. 
Jesus Christ, King of Kings. And, and the reason that Israel has survived is because God Almighty has got his hand on this nation and because Michael, the powerful angel, Michael, stands up for the people and he's not going to let anything happen to the Jewish people. Even during the latter times, even during this time when all hell has broken loose in the world, Michael is going to stand up. I mean, you know what? We don't need to be jealous of Michael's relationship with Israel because I believe Michael is going to have something to do with us too because the Bible says that, <laughs> that there's going to come a great trumpet. The trumpet of God is going to sound with who? The voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise and we which are alive and remain should be called up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I believe Michael's going to blow that trumpet. <laughs> Hallelujah. He loves the Jewish people. I believe he loves us too. But he has a special assignment. But the Michael, he stands up. And there shall be a time of trouble. Never since there has been before. Now Jesus Christ quotes this in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus says in verse 21, He says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And it will be shortened in the sense that it will be limited to three and a half years at the end. That's, that's the only, it doesn't mean it will be less than that, but it means it will be limited to, to only three and a half years. And Jesus said it would be unlike anything we've ever seen. Now think about it. The world has seen some dark times. It has. These, these are perilous times now, but... But the Bible says that tribulation will be like nothing the world has ever seen. You don't want to be here. You, you, don't, you don't want to say, well, I'll just, I'll wait and, and uh, I'll get right with God when, when everything's uh, going haywire. Listen, if you can't serve God now, how in the world are you going to serve God when somebody's going to threaten to cut your head off? Amen. Think about it. It's easy now. I, I got to get this off my chest. About 20 years ago, I remember being in Midway Baptist Church. It was a Sunday after, September the 11th. And I remember that church was packed to the gills that morning. I remember my dear friend, Eric Cook. He's now the uh, missions director for Union County. And Eric Cook, he was preaching a, a message. And I could just sense in my spirit that America was just on the cusp of a revival. I could just sense it in my spirit. Because everybody was so troubled about what was going on, you know, in the world. And there was so much uncertainty about who we, were, who we were at war with, you know, was, was there another attack that was imminent? You know, that was a real concern after the towers fell. Was there going to be another attack? And, and I just remember there was no Republicans and no Democrats in the church that day. We, we were just Americans. We, we, loved, we were one nation under God, and we loved the Lord, and we were looking to God to deliver us. And that lasted for a few weeks. And now 20 years have passed. And we're the most divided society I've ever seen as far as our nation's concerned. I know there have been others. We're so divided now. And, and our news media thrives on this division. There's two things they need for socialism and communism to take over. It's fear and it's division. And that's why every story has got some kind of stupid racial slant to it. It's because they want us to be divided. And when that doesn't work, they use something else to divide us. They'll turn the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. Right? It, it, it's, it's all about division and it's all about fear because the only way government can grow is by fear and division. And that's what they want. And listen, we've been studying the book of Daniel and we know that it goes beyond partisan politics. It is about darkness and light. 
There are forces of darkness in this world that are seeking to take this country into the depths of depravity in the sea. And, and we have got to stand up against it. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name. We say, well, America's got to turn back to God. America never will, but the church has got to. We've got to. Judgment begins at the house of God. Got, we have to be the ones that, that are praying and seeking the face of God. Our problems aren't going to be fixed in the voting booth, folks. I, I know that upsets some of you. Our problems are not going to be solved with par partisan politics. This is where our problems will be solved is in the altar of prayer, calling on God. God, forgive us. God, have mercy on us. We've sinned against you, Lord. We've tried to remove you from every facet of society, and now you've given us what we've asked for. God has given us over to a reprobate mind, and we've, we, I believe that we're in the throes of death as a society, folks. Because the, the Romans chapter 1 ends with this. The ultimate depravity of a society is not only do they do wicked things, but they take pleasure in them that do them. And that's where we are. Not only do we tolerate immorality, we celebrate it. We're entertained by it. Everyone, but, but at that time, Daniel said, God said to Daniel, your people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in your book. You know, that, that used to trouble me because I know that, uh, that typically God doesn't just save nations, right? He saves individuals. And I, but I read in Romans 11 where Paul says, all Israel shall be saved. Have you ever read that? Sure you have because I've put it on the, up on the projector a few times during the last few weeks. All Israel shall be saved. Now, how, how is it that all Israel shall be saved? Well, you get over to the book of Zechariah. I want you to turn there, please. Uh, it's, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 13. Give me just a few more minutes of your time. Zechariah 13. Now this speaks of the time when Israel will once again receive, well, Israel will finally receive her Messiah. And a fountain will be opened up in, in the house of David. Now notice it says in verse 8, I want you to see it in black and white. And it shall come to pass, Zechariah 13, verse 8, it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. So during the tribulation period, two-thirds of the Jewish population will be annihilated. Now think about that. That's going to make Hitler's Holocaust pale in comparison. That, think about it. Now look what he says in verse 9. He says, I will bring the third part, that's that third part that survives, through the fire. And I will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. And I will say, it is my people. And they will say, Jehovah is my God. No more unbelief in Israel. No more unbelief in Israel at this point. God is going to bring the ones who survive unto the end will be a, a believing remnant. And so all Israel shall be saved. Do you believe it? I believe it. I believe it. All right. Then we get to verse uh, 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some shame and everlasting contempt. Now Daniel was written a number of years before Revelation. Amen? Yes. Yes, it, it was, I promise. 
Uh, it was written quite a few years before the book of Revelation. Um, and, and a lot of people have taken Daniel 12.2 and they have seen one general resurrection. The Bible does not teach one general resurrection. Now, the amillennialists, those who deny a future for Israel, those who teach replacement theology, those who teach the church as the new Israel, they love this verse because what they believe is that there's one resurrection and that God has no special plan for the Jews and that everybody's just resurrected at one time. That is not what the scriptures teach. 1 Corinthians 15 says that every man will be resurrected in his own order. The Greek word is tagma there. It's the only time that word's used in the New Testament. Every man in his own order. Who's the first part of the resurrection? That's already happened. Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits. Jesus Christ. Then afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Okay? That's us. That's us, those of us who believe. That's the second part of the, the first resurrection. But then there's another resurrection, and that's going to be for the tribulation saints and for the nation of Israel. Israel and the church are not resurrected at the same time. Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, they have different times of the resurrection. And I believe this teaches it right here. This is after the tribulation period. We're gone. We've already been resurrected. The church has. But Israel is going to awake. Now, what Revelation 20 teaches us that Daniel 12.2 doesn't teach us is that between the interval... No, he says some will awake to everlasting life and some will awake to contempt. What Daniel didn't understand, or, or anybody in that period of time didn't know, is that there's a thousand-year interval between those resurrections. The second resurrection, as it's referred to, is the resurrection of damnation. And Revelation 20 says that happens a thousand years after the first resurrection. So the people who are in hell right now uh, unfortunately, they're going to be there a lot longer. They're, they're not going to be able, and when they're resurrected, it's going to be resurrected for damnation. They're going to be brought out of, now everybody's going to be resurrected. Did you know that? Everybody. Some are going to be resurrected to, to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they're going to be given a body that's fit for the lake of fire. And that's a, ter that's a terrifying thought. A terrifying thought. Verse 3. And they that be wise, and I believe this refers to teachers, those who lead others to Christ. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Wow. Glory to God. You know, I was just thinking about this last night. Uh, we talk a lot about stars now, don't we? When we talk about stars, what do we think of? We think about these Hollywood idiots. Right? And, they, and, and everybody wants to be just like them. Oh, I wish I could be a star. No, you don't. Look at their lives. They're miserable. Most of them are suicidal. They're addicted to uh, various prescriptions and, and, and vices and stuff, and they're miserable, and they spend their life trying to get famous, and then they spend the rest of their time trying to hide from the paparazzi. And they want us to feel sorry for them. We don't have any privacy. But that's, that's the stars of the world. But what have we learned about the stars of the world? They fade, don't they? They fade. People who were famous 10 years ago, a lot of them are not famous now. Oh, they might have a brick in the Hollywood Hall of Fame somewhere. Might have a star uh, somewhere in California and some bricks or something. But they, they fade. And they fade real quick, too. 
I see these people on TV now, and I think, wow, these people used to look so young. And I see those people that I went to school with, and I say, who are these old people I went to school with? <laughs> and stars fade. Stars of the world fade. But listen, the stars that God's talking about, the people who love God, they're going to shine forever. They're going to shine forever. The true stars are going to shine, and those who lead those many to righteousness forever. But thou, old Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even till the time of the end. Now, it's interesting. God told Daniel something completely different than what he told John. At the end of the book of Revelation, the Lord told John, don't seal the book because the time is at hand. But he told Daniel to seal up the book, and that means to preserve it, to, to, to seal it up in preserved form. Shut up the book, even till the time of the end. Now, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Here's one of those times where I get to tell you where I, I used to preach it wrong, and I, and I don't anymore. I used to preach, many shall run to and fro, means planes, trains, and automobiles. You probably heard it preached that way too, right? We, we went for, within the last hundred years, we went from riding covered wagons to uh, Model T's, Model A's, and, and now we're not only traveling in airplanes, but we can travel interstellar travel. We can go to outer space and do all kinds of stuff. And I used to preach that that's what this meant, but I don't think that's what it means, okay? I look, this, I look for some context. You know, the Bible says, many shall run to and fro, and that is often in the context is framed within a quest for knowledge. I'm going to share something with you from Amos. Amos chapter 8, verse 11, says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. And I believe we're, we're experiencing this. It's not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wonder, verse 12, they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. And I believe that's the key to understanding this. Many shall run to and fro. I believe this is during the tribulation period, and people are going to be wanting to know what's going on, and guess what they're going to turn to? This book right here, this book that God told him in verse 4 to shut up and seal up. Doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? Don't try to preach stuff out of its context. The, the context of verse 4 is the book of Daniel. And I believe that during the tribulation period, people are going to be trying to figure out what's going on. And guess what they're going to use as their survival handbook? The book of Daniel. This book that we've been studying for the last several months now. It's going to become so crucial during the tribulation period. And many are going to run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Now, how is knowledge going to be increased? Well, because they're going to be seeing it firsthand. They're not going to have to wonder who the king of the north is or who the king of the south is. We can only speculate, right, because this future for us. But they'll be experiencing that, and they'll be able to connect the dots and say, okay, this is happening now, this is happening now. And then they're going to get over in Matthew's gospel, and, and, and they're going to read the words of Jesus where he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place, don't go back to get your stuff, run and flee and pray that your flight be not on the Sabbath day nor in the winter. And they're going to uh, flee into Buzra, and, uh, and they're going to be preserved. Knowledge shall be increased. <clears throat> How many of you know we're not getting smarter, we're getting stupider? You don't believe it? Look at some of the instructions on some stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not even going to go there. We've got to keep going. All right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, 
one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on, the si on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, oh, here's that man clothed in linen again. Remember I told you there was more than one person in the vision. Y'all didn't believe me, but now you do because you see it with your own eyes. Uh, there, now there's two, at least two, angelic beings. And there's a man clothed in linen which was upon the waters of the river. And they asked, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? I wonder if they really wanted to know or if they knew Daniel wanted to know and they were trying to get, get on with this thing. <laughs> you ever ask somebody a question that you knew somebody else wanted to ask and you went ahead and asked it so we could get it over with? You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. It's just like some of y'all have mercy on me when I'm praying, you know, I'm, I give the invitation and somebody says, I'm just going to go to the altar so we can get out of here. <laughs> I'm going to have mercy on the rest of you when I, when I want somebody to come pray. But, and, and so maybe they know what Daniel's thinking and they asked a question. They said, uh, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. He held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven. This speaks of the solemnity uh, of this oath. And he swore by him that liveth forever and ever. And that's God. That's, that's the Father. That it should be for time, times, and a half. And we know now it's, it's three and a half years. We know that that's... Uh, nomenclature for, for three and a half years. A time would be a year, times would be two, and then a half. So three and a half years. When he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. You know what's interesting to me is it says the, the, the power of the holy people is destroyed. In the campaign of Armageddon, do you know who's not defending themselves? Israel. There's no, you know Israel has one of the most powerful militaries in all the world? They do. And yet, when we read the Bible, and we read the book of Daniel, we read the book of Revelation, we see that Israel is not active in their own defense. God comes to their defense. So how is it, then, that Israel is not defending themselves? Well, it's because the Antichrist convinces them through this peace agreement that they don't need to defend themselves, that they're being taken care of. The Bible says, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And here's something that ought to give every American pause and cause for concern. Who is the greatest ally to Israel right now in the world? I mean, you know, besides God, it's the United States, right? How is it, how is it that Israel is in such a compromised state that they have to sign an agreement with the Antichrist? That, to me, that does not bode well for our country. We may be one of those ten nations, I, I don't know. Or it could be, it could be that America is so decimated by the rapture that we cease to be a world power. I don't know. I don't know what's, but it, but it is a, a, uh, it's a very sober thought that America is, America is not there to stand with Israel. And do you know, church, I believe that's the only reason that the judgment of God has not fallen on us even worse than it has. It's because we're a friend of Israel. Because it goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to chapter 12, and God made a promise to this man, and God doesn't lie. God keeps his promises. And he says, I will make your name great. I'll make you a blessing. I'll bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And I believe that's the only reason we've survived as long as we have. But the power of the holy people is going to be broken. And, then, and only then will they receive their Messiah. Now in verse 8, he says, And I heard, but I understood not. 
If you've been journeying through the book of Daniel with me, you can relate to that, can't you? <laughs> we, <laughs> there's so much we don't know. And, I, and I'll be the first to admit to you, it, it may seem like I've got a, a great handle on this. I really don't. I'm just fooling. I'm just, I, I'm just uh, doing the best I can. Nobody knows everything about the end times. There's a lot that we won't know, I believe, until, uh, until it all shakes down. But he said, I understood not. And then he said, oh, my Lord. It's an interesting question. He didn't say when. He says, what shall be the end of these things? Words are important. What, what's our fascination? We want to know when, right? That, that's, that's our burning question. When is it, Lord? Daniel doesn't ask when. He says, what's, what is the end of all this? What's going to happen? Does God satisfy all of Daniel's curiosity here? Verse 9, he says, go your way, Daniel. Has God ever said that to you? You're trying to figure out what's going on. You're like, Lord, help me to understand. This, I don't understand what you're doing in my life. I can't make any sense of it. And, and God very seldom does he sit down and give me an intelligence briefing and tell me exactly what's going on and why it's happening. Uh, sometimes he might. But there's a lot of secret things that belong to the Lord our God. There's a lot of things for which we don't have all the answers to. And the longer I pastor, the greater I see the value sometimes in keeping quiet in times of trouble. I've learned that as a pastor, when a family's grieving, they don't need the minister to go in there and tell them what, why everything happened and, because the minister, number one, the minister don't know. And number two, sometimes people don't need all the explanations. They just need to be comforted. They need somebody to hold their hand. You know, I, I dare say, and Pastor Larry will probably agree with me on this, and if not, I still love him anyway because he's a good friend. <laughs> but, uh, most people are not going to remember any sermons that I preach. They may remember a handful. They'll probably remember if I said something goofy. You know, that's, that's usually what people remember when I preach. If I, if I mess up something, they'll remember that. Just like uh, I was, one time I was preaching about the fruit of the womb is his reward, and I said the fruit of the loom is his reward. And, and I was not able to recover from that, you know, and so how, and how can you? Most people won't remember any sermons that I preach, but I tell you what they do remember. They remember when I held their hand in their hospital bed. They, they remember when I, when I was with them during a time, a, a, a time of affliction and uh, they needed a hug or, or a comforting word. They remember that. And uh, sometimes we just need to be comforted. And he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And... From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Uh-oh. What's going on here? Uh, before, we've been talking about a period of 1,260 days, remember? Three and a half years, uh, 1,260 days, 30-day months, 360-day years. So what on earth is this 12, what is this extra 30 days? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. It could be that it takes 30 days to purge the temple from the abomination of desolation. There may be a, some rite of purification that takes place for 30 days. I don't know. Uh, we're, we're not told. It could be that there's a period of time when the Lord returns. The Lord's going to return 1,260 days from the abomination of desolation. It could be that those 30 days are a period of judgment. You ever read Matthew 25 where Jesus separates the, and the, the sheep and the goats? 
and there's a judgment and some will be killed and destroyed and it could be that the the 30 days accounts for the sheep and the goat judgment I, I, I don't know it could be uh, a continuation of the marriage supper of the Lamb we don't know Shall be 1,290 days. All right, then verse 12. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. So now we've got 75 days beyond. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, and it's not intended for me to know. It's not, it's not for me to know. It's not, here's my sneaking suspicion. This is my sneaking suspicion here is that this will be the beginning of the millennial kingdom, that this is when the kingdom will be set up. And, and you think about it, it's going to take a little bit of time to, uh, to set things up and, and to get things up and running. There's going to be a new sheriff in town. It's going to be a brand new government. You realize that? No, no more. No more of this nonsense we got in Washington and, and the governor's mansion. No more of that stuff. It's going to be a, a righteous kingdom. <laughs> righteous kingdom. With righteous standards, a kingdom that will never end. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the thousand three hundred five and thirty days. And here we get to the verse you thought you'd never get to. The last verse in the book of Daniel. You can almost hear the soundtrack, the chariots of fire. Dun, 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 dun. Crossing, the chari crossing the finish line. Some of you kids are like, what's chariots of fire? <laughs> But go your way, Daniel, till the end be, for you shall rest, and you shall stand at your lot at the end of the days. This beautiful man, Daniel, this, this wonderful man who had spent his entire life, his, his entire adult life as a captive in, in Babylon, now under the, the Medo-Persian Empire, he had lived for God. If anybody had seen some highs and lows, it was Daniel. Anybody knew what it was like to be mistreated, it was Daniel. Anybody knew what it was to not get a fair shake, it was Daniel. Daniel had seen his, his, uh, his people scattered. He, he heard about his temple being destroyed. And even now, even now, Daniel is so burdened because his people, instead of returning back to, to rebuild the temple, they've fallen back into the same stuff that got him in captivity in the first place. If you've read your Bible... You know that they went right back into the same stuff that got him in trouble in the first place, being assimilated into the, uh, the ways of the heathen. But Daniel, God says to Daniel, he says, your work is done, son. You've, you've been you've, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to stand on your lot in the last days. <laughs> and, and the more I read, the, the more I read my Bible, the more I think it's going to be absolutely amazing when you and I get to meet all of these Old Testament saints. Jesus said many will come from the east and the west and they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And I believe we'll see our buddy Daniel too. I believe so. He said, we know who Daniel is? I think we will. Here's one that'll really frost your cupcake. I think Daniel knows who you are. I think Paul knows who you are. I think Abraham knows who you are. Now, an interesting story, an interesting verse at the end of Hebrews. I'm going to leave you this, and then we're going to open up the altar. 
The book of Hebrews, the chapter 11, speaks of all those heroes of the faith. Talks about Abraham, Noah, Enoch, uh, Jacob, Sarah, Isaac, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, speaks of Daniel, speaks of the, the three Hebrew boys, um, Samson, David, Samuel, all of these guys. You know what it says in verse 39? It says, and these all, all of these Old Testament heroes, these all having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. In other, words, in other words, something remains for these guys. They're looking forward to a future time. God having provided some better thing for us, now this is a profound verse here, that they without us should not be made perfect. There's something marvelous here. And then you get to chapter 12, and it says, Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, who are those guys? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Enoch, Daniel. They're the great cloud of witnesses. I believe they've gone on before us. And I, I like to envision this as in the Olympic Games and that final ceremony. And here we are. Think about this church. Think about it. Think about it. You ever watch the marathon races and they, and they pass the baton on to the next guy? And here we have that baton has been handed down from one generation to the next, to the next, and to the next. And here we are, I believe, on that final leg of the race. The, bat the baton has been passed to us from generation to generation. And we're running that race. And I believe all of those Old Testament saints, are in, they've already made it to the gallery of heaven. The cloud of witnesses is there before us and they're rooting us on. And they're saying, don't give up now. Just a few more miles, weary soldier. Just a few more miles. Just keep on running. Keep on going. It's too early to quit. It's too early to give up. God is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? You're going to make it. Lift up the hands which hang down. Lift up those feeble knees. Let them be straightened. Let them be healed. Because the Lord is coming soon. The Bible says Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Would you stand?